If you're not a GP, or even if you are a GP, you might not be aware that some GPs can own their own surgery premises and effectively rent that premises back to the NHS, which can be a good investment, but can be a nightmare. And there's some pitfalls that you need to avoid. So on today's episode, we are going to explain how this works. And then we're going to get into the details on common pitfalls of premises for GPs. And for all the GPs out there, we're going to go in deep on sale and lease back and how that works, the pros and the cons of it, and explain a bit why the market is kind of frozen at the moment. And towards the end, there's an essential tip which we'll give you to help you maximize the notional rent. If you're a partner, the next cohort of our partnership course starts on February the 21st. All teaching is online and over 600 partners have taken that course now. And the good news is that if you're existing partner, I was going to say old partner there, but uh, I guess I'm an old partner now, unfortunately. If you're an existing partner like me, there are several ways that the NHS will fully fund our course. So it's not just for new partners. There is funding for existing slash old partners to do our course. So if you want more detail on the course, go to medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course. That's medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash GP course. And there's details there of how the course works, how the funding works. But if you want to come, you need to apply now because the next course is starting on the 21st of February. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you like these podcasts, hit the subscribe button hit the like button and leave us a comment if you're watching on YouTube. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So on today's episode, it's my pleasure to welcome, I think for your podcast debut, correct me if I'm wrong, Will Ellis from BW Healthcare Surveyors. Yes. Hi there, Tommy. Yes, thank you ever so much for that. It is indeed my podcast debut. So yes, a new experience for me, but very excited to, to have a conversation with you today. Yeah, it's not your, it may be a podcast debut, but it's not the most important presentation that you've done recently because you kindly presented at Medics Money Live which was a live event in London for 80 of the best specialist advisors to doctors. We got everyone together to just work together and work out how we can help doctors and other healthcare professionals better. So I missed that, unfortunately, because I was at hospital sorting out this X fix. If you're watching on YouTube, that is my finger in an X fix. But Will, how was Medics Money Live? Because I got some great feedback. I was like watching it remotely by like Twitter, LinkedIn, and I really was gutted that I couldn't be there. But you were there yourself. So how was it? It was great, to be honest with you. It was really great. I mean, we probably enjoyed it a little bit more after our presentation because I think we were just a little bit nervous to be talking in front of people. And we saw the we saw the a picture of the lecture theatre beforehand, and it kind of it was a little bit looked a little bit daunting with everyone standing down staring at you a little bit like a bit like a, being back at school. But yes, once we'd done that, no, it was really informative. Just some really good presentations from people. We had one that was quite interesting from our point of view from Rob Day. So Mills and Reeves solicitors just before we jumped on actually, but that was a really interesting one about partnership agreements, which was was really useful. And hopefully we provided some good insights and information just with regards to what we're seeing in primary care and things. Hopefully people got some good takeaways from our presentation as well. 
Yeah, definitely. And I just wanted to capture some of that for our podcast audience today, right? Because, you know, not many people, so, so we'll have GPs listening to this, but we'll also have lots of non-GPs. So for the non-GPs and GPs, you are a primary healthcare surveyor, and that is a wide ranging role. But can you just like to give us like a two minute short intro on how premises work for GPs? Because not a lot of people realize that some GPs own the own premises, lease that to the NHS. Well, I won't steal your funder, but just give us like a short intro just to get people who are not GPs into it. And then I want to hit the ground straight into succession planning. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously, most practices these days or historically have actually been owned by GPs, which I don't think many people are aware of outside of the sector, to be honest with you. I think everyone just assumes that the buildings and the practices, the GP surgeries are actually owned by the NHS themselves. But historically, they're actually owned by the GPs, the doctors. So a lot of doctors set up doctor's surgeries. A lot of them, to be honest with you, historically, so years and years ago, used to be just in the living rooms. So a lot of them are converted houses with, with GPs just seeing patients in their living rooms have obviously expanded since then. So we have an awful lot of purpose-built practices now. There are still quite a few doctor's surgeries that are based are clearly being converted from houses. So yeah, so a lot of practices are still owned by GPs. So GPs are technically the landlords of the premises and the NHS payer pay a rent to the GPs on a yearly basis in the form of a notional rent or a cost rent. So two slightly different reimbursement schemes. But then there are also practices that are owned by by third parties as well as third party landlords. So big corporate landlords or individual smaller local landlords as well. Yeah, awesome summary. And there are some pros and cons to owning your own premises as a surgery premises owner myself. You know, essentially the government pay my rent and I'm also the landlord. So that can work out quite nicely. If you need a loan to buy into the surgery, the interest on that is tax deductible, unlike the interest on a buy to let, you know, if you buy it yourself. Anyway, that's a topic for another day, but it can work out it can work out well, can be a nightmare. We're just getting a new flat roof at our surgery, which is quite expensive. But hey, that's just one yeah. of the joys of owning a property investment. And it is an investment, really. But I want to get into succession planning because premises have become a slight issue in terms of succession planning. So tell us a bit about how, what you're seeing there and what can we do about it? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a problem nationwide, isn't it? Succession planning and, and retirement issues with GP partners nearing retirement and perhaps really struggling to find people or other partners coming in and, and buying them out or really struggling with the existing partnership buying exiting partners out. So a lot of a lot of partnership agreements are the agreements that are in place between the partners dictate what should happen when partners retire and when partners leave. And a lot of them kind of determines that when a partner exits, when a partner retires or leaves, that the existing partners have to buy them, have to buy them out, or an incoming partner has to come in and buy their share. But it's just they're finding it really difficult to be able to afford to do that. So I think a lot of practices are really struggling with perhaps they started off with six as six or seven, a six or seven GP partnership, and it's just been it's just whittling down. And the issue is as that gets closer and closer to perhaps one or two GPs, it's just getting more and more expensive to, to, to buy exiting GPs out. And the risk and the liability of own, owning practices is just getting more and more. So I think a lot of practices are really struggling with succession planning. It's something that we're seeing 
more and more to be honest with you so we have conversations with practices almost on a daily basis who are having issues with recruiting and things we've actually put together a, a webinar with a lot of that we perform for a lot of lmcs just talking about what options practices have when it comes to their when it comes to their succession planning because I, I just don't think many are aware that that they have alternative options rather than it's almost like practices think their option is to either try and recruit new gps or or, or new G, or new partners coming in or they'll just have to close the surgery if they can't if they can't do that upon retirement when they've run out of, of GP partners, and that certainly is not the case. But you know, it's just a case of trying to educate practices as to what their alternative options are. I suppose. Hundred percent. Like if you think about this ahead of time and aware of it, and you mentioned education, like that is what Medics Money is all about. Like there are solutions to this, but guess what? If you get to like last man standing and you've got like a, a 1.5 million pound property, uh, yeah, that, that could be a tricky situation. Okay. So that sounds cool. You definitely need to think about that. Now, one solution, one solution may be, and this is like a buzzword with GPs, sale and lease back. Like everyone is talking about it. Everyone's thought about it in a, as a property owner. Definitely. I know I have, but what is it and what are the pros and cons of sale and lease back? So, yeah, I mean, I think sale and leaseback is becoming more and more popular. I'd say it's becoming more and more popular from a GP point of view. So practices wanting to go through the process. It's perhaps not as popular at the moment from an investment point of view, which we may, we may get to. There doesn't seem to be a huge amount of interest from external investors wanting to buy GP practices. So it's perhaps not the ideal time to go through the process. But in terms of what it is effectively Practices would be selling their surgery premises, so just the premises, just the bricks and mortar, selling it to an investor who would come in and put a lease in place. So the practices are still going to be providing medical services, still going to be holding the contract, that running the practice is normal, but the premises is no longer owned by them. It is owned by an external investor who, who comes in. So the rent that they normally receive, so the practice that the rent that they normally receive from the NHS is still paid to the practice, but then the practice just have to pay it off pay it off to, to, to an investor. So there are quite a few benefits to, to sale and lease back. I think one of the, the big things is the fact that the rent that they're paying the landlords are, are, is getting fully reimbursed by the NHS. It's one of the big things that practices need to be aware of, that when they go through a sale and lease back and put a lease in place, they're committing themselves to paying this rent to the landlord for the next maybe 10, 15, 20 years, however long that lease is. But that rent is getting fully reimbursed by the NHS. So they're not actually having to pay any money themselves. It just goes in from one hand to the other, effectively. The NHS pay the rent and they just have to forward that on onto the landlord. So that should certainly be the case for anybody going through a sale and lease back process. It is very important to ensure that they have the necessary clauses in their lease to protect themselves against that. So although that should be the case, although it should be the case that they're getting fully reimbursed for the rent, we have heard of horror stories, uh, you know, with practices perhaps not getting the correct representation through, you know, surveyors like ourselves or solicitors or getting approvals and, and having conversations with the NHS when they go through these sale and lease backs and just trying to do it on the cheap and trying to sign the, the agreements themselves. And it just causes an awful lot of issues with certainly with the rent. So we've got examples of clients who are perhaps paying, you know, 10, 15, 30,000 pounds more to the landlord than what they're receiving from the NHS, just purely because they signed a lease, they agreed a lease that didn't have the necessary protections in there and that wasn't approved by the NHS. And now there's nothing they can do about it. So it's very important that practices get 
the correct representation through 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 the process. But look, some of the other some of the other benefits of, of sale and leaseback is it can reduce the responsibility, so the risk um, of property ownership. So under a normal standard commercial lease, the landlord would actually be responsible for the external repair and maintenance of the premises and the tenants would be responsible for the internal repair and maintenance. The tenants will technically no longer have to worry about the external repair and maintenance of the premises. However, what does sometimes happen, to be honest, in in primary care and with GP surgery leases is the landlords don't actually want that responsibility either. So it may actually be a case that the landlords go, look, you need to be responsible for everything. They'll want the tenants to be responsible for all internal and external repairs and maintenance of the premises. But if that's the case, then the tenant can actually withhold or retain a proportion of money a proportion of the rent they receive from the nhs so rather than paying rather than receiving it from the nhs and paying it in full to the landlords they can retain maybe somewhere between five and seven point five percent of the rent and the idea is they use that retention of rent to fund any repairs and and maintenance that's needed for the external part of the premises so either a when they go through the process the landlord's going to take on the responsibility of the external repair and maintenance of the premises great or the tenants will still be responsible for it, but they'll have that money held in a sinking fund to hopefully fund any repairs and maintenance that's needed for the premises. So yeah, certainly responsibility is slightly less when you're in a leasehold premises. And then other things really, Probably two of the big reasons why practices go through sale and leaseback is because it can help attract new GP partners. So the idea is if you're in a leasehold premises, which you will be if you go through a sale and leaseback transaction, when you're in a leasehold premises, it's just a little bit easier to attract new GP partners or new partners because they're not having to find hundreds of thousands of pounds to buy into the partnership and worry about funding it. They're just having to become signatories and signatories on the lease. So from our experience, when we're talking to practices, those in leasehold premises do find it a little bit easier to recruit than those in, in owner-occupied ones. It's not a magic wand and it's not like you've got thousands of GPs or thousands of partners just waiting for you to become leasehold. It's just a little bit easier easier to recruit. So I would say recruitment issues is a big reason why practices go through sale and leaseback. And then another big reason is probably improvement works. So practices that are in, in need of, of improvements. So perhaps they need to, you know, they're not fit for pur- purpose or they're running out of space and they need upgrades, they need improvements, they maybe even need extensions, um, but they can't fund that themselves. So they're struggling to find funds to, to pay for those works and they can't access any grant money or funding from the NHS. So they look at getting an external investor to come in and basically pay for those improvements themselves. So the investor would come in, take over the surgery, go through a sale and leaseback transaction, but agree to spend X amount of money to also upgrade and improve the surgery as well. So, yeah. In a nutshell, if I've not just spoken to far too long, then I think that is pretty much what the what the main pros are, and certainly why the, what the reasons are for practices going through through a sale on lease back. No, I mean it's complicated, and that is a great explanation of like why you would consider it. I mean, historically, and not financial advice, do your own research. But some premises have been like pretty good investments for the GP that own them, you know, it's like, if you said to me, would I like a buy to let? Like when I bought into my surgery, buy to let was all the rage. And I looked at buy to let and I was like, those numbers don't look great. And the tax position looks even worse. Do your own research, not advice. But the, the premises is like, not an amazing investment, but it's an okay investment. Like, it's just, do you think these people are going to regret getting scared off? Because you said that if you've got a lease, it's easier to recruit. When I was looking at partnerships, if they had a premises and it looked good, that was actually a big positive to me. And yeah, I had to like loan some money, 
But actually, if you just run the numbers, make the numbers work, and luckily I did stress test it out to interest rates of 7 or 8%, which back then no one thought it was going to happen. But anyway, use a good broker, that's why. But I don't know, just a bit worried that people might be doing this. What's your thoughts on that? Would you hypothetically buy into a GP practice? And if not, why? I think I would, to be honest with you. I'll be perfectly honest with you. you know, it's a service that we offer. So obviously, you know, we do help practices through sale and leaseback. But when we're talking to them, it is very important that they know what they're doing. You know, and it's not, it really isn't for everybody. You know, it's just not, it really does depend on their circumstances. And I think a lot of people that go through it is, it's almost like a last resort for practices. So I don't think it's really an option that they're doing to to save themselves money or because they don't want the investment of a GP practice. I think it's because they just don't have any other option. It's either... Do you try and go through a sale and lease back just to keep things running, reduce stress? They don't want that responsibility and things. But yeah, no, I agree. You know, from an investment point of view, I think it is, it's a great investment. And look, that's why there are so many investors coming from all over different sectors into primary care, wanting to buy into GP practices because it is such a great investment because ultimately the rent that, 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 that is being paid is being fully reimbursed by, by the NHS. So yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it is. I think practices who are considering going through the process just need to get as much advice as possible before they commit to that long-term lease, that 15-year lease, which you know brings with its own, its own liabilities and its own risk. They just get advice from you know from ourselves. We can give them the, the upsides and the downsides, but not just ourselves. Speak to solicitors, accountants. Sp- certainly worth speaking to an accountant. I think every practice has obviously an accountant. It's very important that they see as men get get as many views on it as possible to make sure that it is perfect for their particular circumstances because like you said tommy it's not it certainly isn't for everybody yeah i think as well i don't want to get my generational hardship violin out but i think there might be a bit of generational shift here as well because my generation was probably the last generation that had a sensible student loan i had a plan two student loan which was good debt And so by the time I joined my partnership, I'd cleared my student loan. I bought my house for a reasonable multiple of my income. It wasn't crazy. And so when I joined the partnership, I'd had, I had no debt. And then they were like, if you want to join, you've got to take on this debt. And I was like, oh, I just like flogged myself to get debt free. But then around the numbers and it's like, okay, the numbers stack up, I'll go for it. If I was like five years after me, I would have, you know, a much worse student loan position. I would have paid much more tuition fees. I probably would not have been debt free at the point that I joined the partnership. And then I've got all this debt. And then someone says, hey, do you want some more debt? I'm like, so I think then that might be part of it. I don't know. I'm just speculating there. Let's get back to like the cons. I mean, we've kind of flirted around the cons. And then I want to talk about the institutional investors that you mentioned, because that was the topic of your talk at the Medics Money Live. And uh, I missed it. So I want you to fill me in on what's happening, because I'm super interested in that space. Yeah, no, that's fine. Look, just going back to your point, I, I, I think it is. I think it is a reason. It's certainly a reason why practices go through sale and lease back. And like I said, it's not for everybody. But I think, you know, there is a shift. There is a shift in mindset for GPs. I think just wanting to or, or wanting to buy in, or even being able to afford to buy in, is just such a big difference. So I think, like I said, it is practices are forced to go down this route rather than it being perhaps the first choice. But look, in terms of some of the downsides, or certainly some of the things that practices need to consider before they go through the process. So 
There's going to be restrictions on any future improvements. So if you know if practices all of a sudden grow their patient list size and they're running out of space, I mean, every practice is running out of space anyway, but if they run out of space, if it gets even worse than it is now, then they're going to have to ask the landlord's permission for any improvements, any upgrades, any extensions. And it's just important that they're aware of that, that they can't just go and, go and do it themselves. They're always going to have to ask the landlords. And if the landlords don't want to make those improvements, don't want to extend, then they don't have to. And the practices are just going to be stuck in their, in their existing, existing premises, whether that's fit for purpose or not. So that is certainly something for them to consider. There are also maybe specific obligations on the practice when they sign up to a sound lease back. So they'll have other lease terms in there. So it's not uncommon for practices to be asked or for there to be a clause in the lease for them to perhaps have to redecorate the surgery every three to five years there'll certainly be a clause in the lease that says they have to keep the surgery in its current state of repair so whatever the state of repair is on day one of the lease has to be the state of the repair at the end of the lease otherwise they'll effectively face financial financial penalty to bring the surgery back up to its existing current state of repair and i would say that is a major issue when leases expire upon renewal is the dilapidation issues is the landlord saying that they need to spend x amount of money to to bring the surgery up and there's, there's always that argument at the end of the leases whose responsibility is it how much is it going to cost and things so it's just very important that practices keep up with their obligations within the lease and are aware of what their terms and their what their obligations are there are also going to be liabilities under the lease so something that we've obviously touched on you know briefly is Yes, when, in terms of incoming partners, they don't have to find these funds to buy into partnerships, but they are still having to become signatories on the lease, still having to take liabilities. So they're still going to be responsible for the rental payments. So if, let's say, they sign a 15-year lease, they're agreeing to pay the rent to the landlord for that 15-year period. Now, although they will get fully reimbursed by the NHS, that is only on the proviso that they continue to provide medical services. The NHS medical services continue to hold their contracts. Now, if for whatever reason the surgery were to close mid-term, so before the lease has expired, the NHS are obviously going to stop paying their reimbursement because the practice aren't providing medical services anymore. But the practice, the GP partners, the signatories on the lease are still going to be responsible for the rental payment. So it's just very important that practices, if they do decide to go through a sale and lease back, are just thinking really hard about how long a lease they want to commit themselves to. There's a huge benefit to signing a long-term lease when you go through a sale and lease back because the longer the term of the lease, the higher the value of the premises. So there's a real... There's a real temptation, I suppose, from practices to just go, oh, let's just sign a 25-year lease because we're really going to maximize you know, what, what our return uh, and what we're going to get paid for the surgery. But the downside to that is you're taking on a 25-year liability for the rent. And now, it, although the surgery is running now, if it, for whatever reason things were to change in you know, 10, 10, 15 years, whenever that may be, then, it, then practices are going to face financial, financial risk. So it's really important when we talk to practices about length of leases and how long they're wanting to sign it's just important that they understand as practices how likely it is for their surgery to continue to run continue to operate as a gp practice and if they think there's any chance that's not going to be the case in you know 10 15 years time then they just really need to be really careful about perhaps signing a, a shorter term lease potentially so certainly liabilities under the lease is something they definitely need to be made aware of other things as well. So you've got early redemption penalties. So penalties for practices who have any outstanding mortgages. When you pay off the mortgage early, there are going to be penalties. So the mortgage providers will put up put a penalty on there for paying off paying things off early. So they can sometimes be astronomical. So there are 
certain mortgage providers, which I'm not sure we'd like to name the names, but there are some particular providers that are renowned for charging ludicrous early redemption penalties. So just very worthwhile. The practices are thinking about going through the process that they just speak to their mortgage providers and just find out what those potential early redemption penalties are. And then lastly, yes, you've got, you need at least two signatures on the lease at all times. So that's something to consider as well. So for practices who are perhaps single-handed wanting to go through the process, they're going to really struggle to find an investor that's going to want to buy the premises with just one signatory on the lease. So they're probably going to need to look at trying to find another partner to come in and be another signatory on the lease. And then equally for practices who perhaps have three or four partners, then technically all four partners, let's say they're in a practice with four, four partners, all four partners are going to be signatures on the lease. Technically, the first two could leave without having to find anybody to replace them on the lease. But when they get down to those last two signatures, the second to last person that leaves is going to have to find somebody to replace them on the lease. Otherwise, they'll just remain remain liable for the terms of the lease. So that's certainly something to consider and certainly probably a yeah, potential downside, downside to sale and lease back. Yeah, which kind of brings us around to the when you're doing your sale and lease back, you got to sell it to someone, right? And there are large, you know, FTSE listed companies that specialize in buying GP practices. And your talk of medics money was focused a bit about the situation there right now, because it's a pretty dynamic situation, but things have changed a bit. So could you just sort of speak about what is going on with because basically, They've put their shutters up and they're sort of saying, hold on, we're not interested in buying anything else right now. Is that right? It is. Yeah. And it's not just them. It's just everybody. It's just a, every single investor. So from, from an organization, we have somewhere between 100 and 150 investors on our investor list. So active investors who are interested in potentially purchasing primary care real estate. But I would say pretty much all of them have put the, put things on hold at the moment, to be honest with you. So everything's just on hold. Everything's on hold pending somebody working out what what the situation is with the market but it's so difficult it's almost like a chicken and egg situation at the moment because investors are waiting for somebody to you know the market to move to to kind of try and figure out what surgeries are worth at the moment but it's impossible to figure out what surgeries are worth until investments go through until transactions take place and just transactions are not taking place so you know to just no one's buying any surgeries. So everyone seems to be a little bit scared of testing the water, putting bids in. So, I mean, we've got six or seven surgeries on the market at the moment, but yeah, the majority of them, are, the offers that have come in are significantly below where we would want them to be at. So yeah, it's just a really tricky stage. I mean, I think it's mainly to do with the interest rates. So the rising interest rates just doesn't make it affordable for investors. So it was a brilliant market, probably 12, 18, 18 months ago, with just investors just flooding the market, just paying, I'll be honest with you, ludicrous amounts of money for, for, for GP practices at times. Certainly those, certainly the modern practices. So the modern, larger purpose-built premises were, were, were really attracting quite low yield, so high value. But that's, yeah, those days are probably a little bit over now. So it's just a, yeah, we're in a bit of a state of flux, to be honest with you. And, and I'll be honest, I don't think anybody really knows where, where it's going to be. I think everyone's just waiting to see how things play out over the next six to 12 months. But yeah, something's going to have to give. But when and how that happens is anyone's guess, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think like it's a business model that is essentially reliant on availability of cheap capital you know interest rates have gone up massively recently cheap capital is no longer available so i guess like what you're saying is the market's kind of repricing itself like right now as a lot of property 
marketplaces are. So yeah, that's just super interesting that they're just not lending or not buying anything at the moment. Okay, cool. So if you were a GP, what would be like your top tips summarized today? That was awesome, by the way. Like, I don't think there's enough of this kind of education that goes on to GPs unless you're on our partnership course, but not everyone is. But what's your like summary take homes as for me as a GP owning a property? Give me your take homes. I think it's just, I mean, the main thing is, is is looking at how to, how you can perhaps maximize the value of your premises. So in, in anticipation of perhaps selling the surgery or, 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 or looking at bringing partners in, if you can obviously maximize that rental income that you've got, it's going to hopefully help attract GP partners uh, to, to, to come in, but it's also going to help increase the value of the premises further down the line if you were ever to did decide to sell. So, you know, things like, Assessing the notional rent, for instance, is, is probably the main way in which you can do that. Just making sure the notional rent that you receive from the NHS is in line with the current market. Make sure you're not getting underfunded. So just to illustrate that point, around 89, well, I say around 89, 89 is a pretty much an exact figure, but 89% of practices that we inspected last year were getting underfunded for their notional rent. So that's pretty much nine out of 10 practices aren't receiving the correct reimbursement. So just they're just not getting enough. So it's just so important that practices get that assessed. So through companies like ourselves, you know, there's several specialist primary care surveyors dotted around the country. So, you know, I'm, a lot of practices know them because a lot of practices have market valuations for partnership changes and things. So if you do, just speak to the surveyor. Just when you receive that assessment from the NHS, just ping it on to a specialist surveyor. The majority of us, we won't charge you anything unless we're successful in getting you an increase anyway. So it's a free service. Service. It's a free service unless we achieve something for you. So it's an absolute no-brainer, I think, to ensure that practices get get second opinions for their notional rent. So that's the big thing. That's the big thing that practices can do every three years. And even if they've done it once, a lot of practices think, oh, we've done it once. We did it 10 years ago. We don't need to do it again. No, you need to do it every single time it is assessed because it is just somebody's opinion of what the rental market is for that three-year period. So you just need somebody else's opinion to go in, to go and check it. So that's certainly one big way that practices can maximize the value of the premises, maximize their rental income. You know, other ways, other things that practices can sort of consider as well is, this, is if they lease any space out. So if they rent any rooms out to perhaps pharmacists or dentists or whatever it may be, alternative therapists, just making sure those leases are up to date, making sure that, again, the rent reviews have been undertaken and are up to date as well. So that's certainly a big thing. And then looking at perhaps any ways in which they can maximize their rental income by perhaps upgrading and making changes to the premises or extending the surgery. So again, just looking at ways in which they can do that as well will certainly certainly help practices. But I think from a... Obviously, that's from a maximizing the the, the the premises and the value and things point of view. But from a wider point of view, in terms of the succession planning, I think it's just important practices get as much advice as they can. You know, just before they even make a final decision, it's just, you know, come and speak to ourselves or another surveyor, another local surveyor, go and speak to your accountant, you know, involve the ICB in an early stage as well. They may be able to assist them. Some ICBs are better than others, but if you do have a, a friendly one that are willing to have a conversation and, and assist you through the process, just give them a call and find out. But then you've got your LMCs, you've got your GP federations, you've got, you know, your clinical leads at, at, in the PCNs as well. So just try and involve as many people as possible just to, just to try and find. And I would say if you try and sp- if you spoke to 10 surgeries, there's probably going to be one that's perhaps either seriously considered sale and leaseback or already gone through the process. So again, speaking to somebody, speaking to a practice who have gone through the process of these, had these issues and already determined them and gone through that process is really useful as well. So yeah, just get as much advice from as many people as possible is probably the biggest takeaway.
Yeah, awesome tips there. On our partnership course, you know, getting your notional rent checked every three years, it's amazing uh, how many uh, don't know about that. And that's because no one has ever taught us this stuff. You know, GPs are taught plenty of medicine, which is great, but we're also running a business. And if we don't run that business properly, it's going to go not well. And if it doesn't go well, we can't look after our patients as well. So yeah, that just, if you get your notional rent review and just just check it. Like it is definitely worth doing. Will, that was awesome. If people were liking this or they want your help, what's the best way to contact you? Is it, are you going to give out your email or what's the best? Yeah. I mean, I could give it out now if you like, if that's okay. You just want me to let everyone know my, my email address. So, so depends my, depends how many, depends how many emails you want to get, right? Because once one of our guests came on and talked about the pension and gave out their personal email address and they got over a thousand emails in three days. Wow. So, well, what I mean, look, that's fine. I'm more than happy to deal with it. I just people will have to be aware if they send me an email and I've got a thousand to deal with, I might not be able to get back to them straight away. But as long as your customers are aware of that. But yeah, look, my email address is will.ellis at bwhsurveyors.co.uk. You can find us online as well. So BW Healthcare Surveyors, we've got a always got a website, everybody has. So just type us into Google. There's a contact us page on the website. There's also quite a lot of information on our website. So we've got a news, a news section where we put a lot of blogs up there which helps uh, the idea is to help educate people with god's various different matters as well so certainly our website is a big one we're quite active on linkedin so will ellis just search my name will ellis on linkedin as well so yeah just more than happy to for people to to drop me an email and like i said if they've got any questions or queries i'm happy to just set up a call with anybody and just hopefully help educate where we can and yeah if we can help what we tend to say is if we can help we will do if we can't we'll probably know somebody who can so yeah we'll just point you in the right direction if not Definitely. Awesome. Thanks so much for that, Will. That was super useful. Cheers. No problem at all. Thanks, Tommy.